Welcome to Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half demon hero, hosted by me, Mark David Christensen. And me, Kate Thompson. And we are continuing and discussing and reading the pages of The Universal Machine. We'll be covering issues slash chapters three and four this episode. Um, And we'll get to, you know, find out more about our characters in the Bureau. Yeah. But before we can do that, we got to get to our segments. We're not going to waste any time. We're just going to get right to it. This segment we love. We hope you do too. (laughs) Oh boy. Email. (laughs) It's always great when you say the segment titles with me. It's just funny. (laughs) That title doesn't make it sound like we don't like the emails, right? I think it does, but we clearly love them. We do love them. But I think, oh, it's more than just... Oh, boy, email. Oh, boy, email. Yeah, you could do it like a little yeah. 50s newsy. <laughs> oh, oh, boy, boy. email. Oh, email finally showed up. Hey, Pops. Hey, mister. Pops, everybody gather around the computer. We're going to read the email. Gather around the computer. <laughs> gather around the warm light of the computer. Oh, uh, what a world. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Oh boy, but I'd like to say it more like, oh boy, email. Because they're going to, they're going to, I'm expecting everyone to be like, could they possibly yell at us? (laughs) That's what I'm going in with. Yeah, I like it. Love it. Great. Uh, This is another email from Professor Richard Pittaway. Um, He titled this one, I Have Been Summoned. I sort of, there's no exclamation point, but. I added that. Cool. (laughs) He writes, Dear Hellcasters, I feel like Beetlejuice, having been named in the podcast three times this week. (laughs) We summoned him. We summoned him. I have appeared to offer what insight I can. I can't answer everything. Babylonian, Sumerian, and Egyptian mythologies were never something I was super knowledgeable on. But I'll give it a shot. So this has a lot to do with the island. Cool. When we, uh, we had Jonathan on. Yeah. Firstly. When it comes to the island, I've always felt this is the point where Hellboy begins to drift between layers of reality. I think he's very very true on this. Very clear in the issue that that is what's taking place, I think, a bit. As you guys pointed out, there seems to be a lack of consistency with scale, space, and time in this story, which when combined with the haze surrounding everything, reminds me of the mythical Avalon. Avalon was a mystic island in Arthurian, Arthurian time legend. Arthur, King Arthur, yeah. Arthurian, 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 yeah, you're saying it right, oh, I should just not eat eggs before we record, <laughs> or I should do that thing, I heard that you put, you're just full you put, of eggs, yeah, yeah, I am full of eggs, you should, I heard this thing where you could put like coffee, dry coffee grounds in your mouth, and it like dries it up so you can speak better on mic, whoa, never tried it. I just keep drinking liquids while I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're drinking coffee. Yeah, exactly. Getting real hyped. But great. Arthurian legend, which existed outside of time. Cool. It is, it, this is where the island, the isle itself, exists out of time. It is where Exa- Excalibur was forged and where King Arthur was taken to recover from his mortal wounds so he could return in the time of England's greatest need. Apparently Brexit doesn't count, I guess. Got a little zinger in there. Uh. Got a little zinger. I love it. This explains the way that death seems optional in this story, with the sailors hanging out with Hellboy one moment and long dead the next, or how Hellboy gets to opt out of death despite being impaled and having been completely drained of blood. 
That's my theory, at least. And it aligns with the Arthurian legends that become more prominent from this point forward. Hellboy also from this point seems to have a tendency to hang out with the dead after this and can even pass from this world to others with ease, such as the thrice 10th kingdom or the outskirts of hell after this point. Ooh, yeah. it is definitely a crossroads and a lot is happening. So it's really cool. And you are hinting at all the Ar- Arthurian things that are about to come, which I know Kate has been been semi spoiled, but also just teased for the majority from yeah. the comics. Um, which is very cool stuff. Great. Then he breaks this down into parts. He says, this story to me breaks down into eight parts. So I'll address each separately so I don't get too confused. As I do, I'll tend to roam on topics that they that, as they come up. So we might as well have some structure to put these ramblings in. God, we need it. Kidding. <laughs> I mean, meaning we, we do. We need structure, yeah. not you. Structure helps. <laughs> he says, part one. Drinking with skeletons. Sea shanties. The thing to remember about this kind of music is that it is not just fun songs to sing to to pass the time. Shanties had a very specific purpose, keeping groups of sailors in a rhythm so they can maximize teamwork. The chorus would be sung together, and that is when they would pull, push, row, or what have you. Then one man, women occasionally, but they were seen as bad luck on ships since sailors are a superstitious lot. Mm Our most bad men are superstitious lots. Just saying. (laughs) Uh, Would sing a verse. Often the verse singer would rotate around, and that is when the team would rest so they could continue work through the song. So when you have these sailors singing shanties with Hellboy, they're including him in the crew. There's also some parallel that Hellboy is off on his own, singing a verse as it were but he's going to have to reunite with the crew if he's going to pull together and keep the ship running. The specific song that they are singing is also interesting. Mermaids were seen as dark dark omens, which herald the destruction of the ship. So these men are singing of the inevitable destruction of their ship as as, as they have seen omens that it is coming. Much as the world is drifting ever closer to its destruction as frogs and Hellboy portend. Mm. I actually really love this this breakdown because I think in a sense, I don't know when it will happen, but is but I can only infer, does that mean he needs to regroup with the others at some point? Who is his crew? Is the crew possibly the BPRD and his friends? Is the crew a greater sense of the world? Is the world the ship? I think he's very clearly like what he's saying, Professor. Like the world is sort of the the ship and it's going to go down no matter what. It's pretty much what the song is. So how are you going to do it, Hellboy? You know? Yeah. It's crazy. And he's seen mermaids. So it's like it's all these little tie-ins. Yeah. It's very cool. It's, It's setting up a lot that I love like in such... A tone that it's not on the head. It's just there. Yeah. It's laying it out in front of you, but not not down your throat, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Very cool, right? <laughs> so much so that sometimes I don't even notice it. Hey, that can happen. Yeah. But that's why you got to go back and reread it. Yeah. Great. Part two, he says. A chat with Hecate. Hecate's appearance with no summoning is, is another of the things that make me think the island is somewhere between reality and somewhere else. As a mythological figure, Hecate must be summoned anytime we see her in reality. But here she appears of her own volition to have a quick talk with Hellboy. 
Cool. I love he's finding these little clues. Yeah. The substance is really pretty straightforward. And you guys already covered it. But I did want to highlight the difference in outlook between the two of them. Hecate, as a mythological figure, feels driven by the fates. She must follow the path because she cannot do otherwise. Hellboy, however, however, is part human, so he has free will. It is his prerogative to struggle against fate. This may be a factor of their comparative ages as well, but I think it is, has more to do with his humanity, humanity allowing more free will because he is not bound by mythological rules. Very oh, cool. Yeah. yeah it makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. All those creatures are really bound to like their ways and their rituals. Right. They're like so caught up in the nature of themselves. Like they, yeah, they like are way more tied to that. Totally. And he's like, nope, yeah. I don't have to do that. That's cool. Yeah. It's very cool. <laughs> very good insight. Part three. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is a professor email, so you got to hang on. I mean, it's beneficial, though. It's very, uh, very helpful. beneficial. It literally, it's like he's going to end up by the end of our podcast, we'll disappear and he'll write a book. <laughs> It'll just be us. We're just dictating to all of you his book. Yeah, it's exactly. an audio book. <laughs> he calls part three and you are after telling Hecate where she can put her fate in destiny. Hellboy wanders off and finds the keep of the Rorschach. Rosicrucians Rosicrucians Mm -hmm. We then have a quick flashback to establish Who the heretic is so we can establish Why he is here We also see the Inquisitor and the Spanish soldiers To give up time and place to the heretic's death A couple of tiny details In this sequence Mr. Baravecchia pointed out The the Crocodilian figure In the Mignoli panel of statues Postulating it looked Egyptian it rang a bell for me. So I looked it, into it, and I'm pretty sure that it's supposed to be an image of the Egyptian god Sobek. Sobek is a minor deity of the Middle Kingdom, representing the pharaohs and healing. Some scholars translate this his name to mean the one who unites, referring to his place in the uh, cyclical... Cyclical? Cyclical death. Thank yeah. you, Kate. You're good. <laughs> And he and rebirth of Osiris in Egyptian mythology. Sobek is in charge of gathering and bringing together the pieces of Osiris after he is destroyed by Horus so that Isis can heal him and he can live again. This seems to be mean to me awfully similar to the dead Adru Jahad who are in seven pieces and must be returned to life as one to rule the world. Oh, very goddamn, yeah. Professor. Um. And that's just great mythology. Take what, steal from the best. Yeah. I mean, that's what Mignol is doing. Is <laughs> stealing from the best to make his own mythology. That, and that was, I can't, I, I can't even add to that. That was just beautifully yeah, said, Professor. That's cool. The second little detail everyone overlooked is the icon on the heretic's rosary. It shows a stylized serpent or tree with seven heads set among several stars. The stars, I think, could be literally literal stars referring to deep space where the dragon sleeps, or based on the design, they look like the flames that represent the watchers later. Either way, great little detail. I agree. Yeah. It's a very cool detail. Thanks for shouting it out. Bring attention to it. Part four, the death of Hellboy. Here we have a brief interlude of classic Hellboy action as he fights Ragu Hem. The grub-like talons on the ill-shaped monster reminded me of the Seraphim in The Dead. 
Also, I think it's telling that Hellboy quotes here from Moby Dick. Moby Dick is a story of a man who deliberately ties his fate to revenge, which ultimately destroys him. Ahab's selfishness not only kills him, but destroys his entire ship, forcing the remaining crew, just Ishmael the narrator, to survive by clinging to its friend's cof- to his friend's coffin. Mm-hmm. I'm summarizing a lot here, but Melville was being paid by the page, so he wander- wanders off into more tangents than I do about the history of whaling, <laughs> whaling ships, and sea voyages. I remember that's the reason I never read that book, is because I couldn't get past all that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it reads like someone trying to increase their word count unnecessarily. The parallel here is begging the question, is Hellboy selfish? For continuing to exist despite the knowledge that his existence heralds doom? Or is his struggle to fight back the great monster that will destroy the world, a noble one, even if it is he if it even if he is doing it for the for selfish reasons? It makes him a complicated character. Yeah. More than just what we started with, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. Because I don't think I have a straight up answer. And I love that those questions I think are meant for Hellboy and almost it's like and these questions are sort of posing and maybe what the struggles that Hellboy goes through on a daily basis now and finding out who he is. Yeah. <laughs> it's heavy. It's cool. It's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> he continues. We then have a quick sequence of symbols and movement setting up the resurrection of the heretic and Hellboy's rejection of his own death. There's a quick flash of what appears to be Vishnu, the Hindu god of balance and preservation. It is Vishnu's task to preserve the world in its course between Brahma, god of creation, Mm -hmm. and Shiva, god of destruction. He also is in charge of maintaining karmic balance. Then we have a Greek um, hoblet, hoblite, H-O-B-L-I-T-E. Sounds right to me. Cool. The bell of Mahlahomi in an ibis, which Mr. Baravekia thought was a stork. Since we are already in Egyptian mythology, and I recall an ibis-headed deity as well, I looked that up, and lo and behold, we have Thoth. No relation to the last king of Hyboria. He says, the Egyptian god of judgment and balance. I think this is all foreshadowing the second half, where there is a war between Hellboy and his dark nature as portrayed by the heretic, with the world caught in the balance. Part 5. A Brief History of the World. The golden tablets. I think the language the tablets are written in is supposed to be the language of the birds, a.k.a. the language of angels or Enochian. According to the Old Testament, mankind once spoke a single language. This led them to build a mighty tower to reach the heaven known as the Tower of Babel. Or Babel. God decided that that was quite enough of that and destroyed the tower, then forced mankind to speak many different tongues to prevent anything like this from occurring again. The language everyone spoke before this was known as the language of the birds. Linguistic science has found common roots and actually does estimate that all modern languages can trace back to a common linguistic root, probably from when humans first evolved in Africa before they spread across the world. As different regional dialects became more pronounced, we got the earliest forms of Germanic, Chinese, Latin, and other languages, which specialized further over time into the languages we know today. I'm not a linguist, but if you want a really fascinating examination of how English got so complicated, I recommend the History of English podcast, which explores the Celtic, Germanic, French and Norse roots of what a friend of mine refers to as 
three languages in his trench coat, roughing up others for loose grammar. <laughs> Very funny. That sounds interesting, especially if you're into that. Again, that I just want to repeat that title, The History of English. Cool. Notice that the rosary icon also appears around the neck of the Aztec priest who introduces the heretic to all of this knowledge. Mm. Interesting. I love that little detail. Thank you for calling it out. The fall. Notice that after the watchers kill the maker of the Agdru Jihad, their master casts them down, some into the pit and others onto the earth. This means that all the Damians are watchers and Hellboy is half watcher. Ooh. Very cool. And the Tulathi de Nanan and other mythical races are also watchers. This makes Gurugak, Hellboy's distant cousin, ain't no war like a civil war because no one hates each other like family. <laughs> That's a very cool detail to think that like they are descendants from that very beginning. Makes yeah. sense that like demons are all um, at, the, at the very beginning. Yeah. And it also plays into a lot of like all classic mythology, even with if you get into Christianity, how it was like in heaven it was oh, Jesus was like, we want to give them free will. And, yeah. and Satan's like, no, we're going to force them to be good. That's how we'll do this. And then he was like, no, you're you're, you're now being combative with me and Jesus, God, yeah. and threw him down to earth. And that's how Satan came about. That's why he's here tempting all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems very similar. They're very, all great mythologies have similarities. Yeah. Um, or at least the beginning of the time, I guess. Cool. Part six, the final battle. <laughs> Not only is this the final battle of the comic, but it, is, it has symbolism of the final battle for the soul of Hellboy. We have the heretic wearing Hellboy's blood and looking increasingly like a demon in, confl in conflict with Hellboy, who has had enough of being told what, it will, what will happen and has happened and is asserting his right to choose his own ending. There are elements of Armageddon, where the Antichrist will battle the remaining faithful at the end of the Christian world, mm -hmm. and Ragnarok, where the cycle of the earth ends and begins anew. Ultimately, both the heretic and their ergo hem are impelled in the same way that Hellboy was, balancing the scales and resetting Hellboy to the beginning, standing alone in the mist among a graveyard of ships. The heretic returns to death, and God, for at least the Inquisitor, returns to victory. It's almost like nothing happened at all. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I do like the the take that like the Christ, the battle of the Antichrist and Ragnarok are very different mythologies. Yeah. And I'm not very versed on both, but it's very interesting to look at them differently. Like, like uh, Antichrist is really like just battling the righteous. So that's very, feels very rooted. Whereas Ragnarok is like a thing of circle of life. Yeah. It's like meant to. Like it's inevitable. Yeah. As, yeah. Very cool. Part seven, the denouement. Denouement? Is that how you say that? D-E-N-O-U-E-M-E-N-T? Denouement? Denouement, so. right? Okay. Yeah. Just want to make sure I'm, listeners are, I'm saying shit, <laughs> right? Here we have Malomi explaining his interference in the final battle for Edward Gray. Malomi is explaining, in my opinion, that he chose to put his faith in Hellboy's choices over the heretic salvation of a few humans. I think Malomi believes Hellboy will choose humanity over the fated doom, but since he doesn't know the future, it's a gamble. Hence his statement that, what is life without risk? Yeah. Yeah, very simple and beautiful statement. 
Hellboy returns to the real world because, as the poem says, "'Tis a fearful night, there is danger on the deep, this is no place for thee." And we close on the blooming flowers just coming out of buds like they are being reborn. Yeah, yeah and that's a great symbolic thing that I, I don't, I can't remember if we touched on, but it is sort of like, again, I constantly call it a crossroads, but it is like a, a rebirth for him because yeah. he's now fully getting bigger picture of who he is. Yeah. He was born one way. Now it's like, oh, I'm this thing. But then he's also being reborn to be like, okay, I'll own it, but I don't have to do it. Yeah. Which is very fascinating to see what will follow that. Yeah. Very cool. And then part eight, epilogue. We open on Mabe, queen of air and darkness, and another leader of the Fae. It's not entirely clear to me whether she is the leader of a different group from King Dagda or if she is his widow. But regardless, she is a powerful creature in her own right and knows many things. Grugak has come to her to know where Hellboy is and more importantly, whether he died. Babe reveals that he is not only alive, but headed for England, also recapping Hellboy's origins so we can have that fresh in our minds for the next chapters of his story. Gruagok reveals that his motivations are merely a hollow quest for revenge, calling back to our Ahab reference earlier. That's what I was going to say, yeah. yeah. When he mentioned that, I was like, oh, yeah, it's Gruagok. He's just driven by revenge, yeah. that little fuck. Little <laughs> <laughs> bastard. Doesn't realize it's not going to help him. Uh, but also a desire to not only go quietly in the night, rage, rage against the dying of the light. The end is coming, but Gruagok wants to meet it battling something or anything, really. He doesn't know how to stop the end, so he just wants to struggle. Ironically, he struggles against his last hope. Yeah, it's a great character, I think, Gruagok. You're going to, we'll yeah. get more of him. Uh, and I think you know that, but. Especially from watching the movie, you probably infer yeah, that he's a bigger character. But yeah, it is. I love that characterization of him really just, no matter what, wanting to go down on the fight yeah. rather than quietly. It's yeah. like, okay, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and again, we've already talked about this, Kate, but I love that the, the world of the fairies and such and fae, I love that they're not, they're, they're not passive in the sense of just, they're lost because humans have forgotten them this in the Hellboy world, yeah. but they also just want to exist. <laughs> There's yeah. just such sadness behind all of them. I don't know. I, I didn't articulate that the best I could, but there's something I lo- I think very rich there. Yeah, totally. Just like they like just having this like former glory that they basically won't achieve again. They're sort of like facing their destruction. So they're like beautiful and sad. Yeah. yeah. And we don't ever see them really face their destruction. Maybe we have in pop culture, like, you know, Fern Golians, things like that. Oh, yeah. but, but they really have to face it just like a human, their mortality. Yeah. They're very fascinating. Yeah. With Ragnarok, in a sense. Um, so that's my analysis. I hope you enjoyed it. For recommendations, I encourage reading The Ulster Cycle, which are the legends of Colloquian an Irish hero, and I probably said that wrong, but Cuchulainn, an Irish hero? I don't know. C-U-C-H-U-L-A-I-N. Um, an Irish hero, and the origin of the character Medeb, pronounced Maeve, Maeve, which is spelled M-E-D-B, but pronounced Maeve, because Irish is weird, <laughs> is what he says. Who was the inspiration for the character of Maeve, written by Shakespeare? Morgan, um, Llewellyn's book on the Ulster Cycle is Red Branch. Cool? 
In thematically related news, I just watched Carnival Row on Amazon Prime. And the fantasy slash mystery element reminded me strongly of Hellboy. Strong oh. recommendation with the caveat that it is definitely TVMA. Yeah. <laughs> Prostitutes are major characters and there's a brief nudity and plenty of swearing. Okay. Cool. We're mean cater on yeah. board. <laughs> <laughs> uh, visually, that movie or that TV show looks cool. I haven't, yeah. I haven't checked it out. Have you? No, no, not yet. Is Jude Law on I it? Will. No, I, no, it's uh, it's Legolas. Um, oh, Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom, yeah. I don't know why I mistake those two. I could see it. <laughs> They're white Englishmen. Yeah. Uh, the story is of an, and he says this about the show, the story is of an inspector investigating a series of murders in the section of the city populated by fairy folk who are refugees from their occupied land. It's powerfully good and has elements of Victorian culture, racism, slavery, indentured servitude, technically, but the history between those two concepts is another long story and I think we've had long, we've had enough of those today. <laughs> Refugee Im- uh, immigration and in imperialism. Your humble servant, as always, Professor Pitaway. Thank you so much. What a rich in depth analysis. He wrote us a thesis. I tell you, he's gonna have a book at the he's end. He's gonna of have this. a book. <laughs> Just compile these together. And the only thing we will be allowed to do is do I'll a paragraph it. of yeah. We will buy it yeah. and plug it, and I will. We'll write a foreword that they might throw out. Yeah, <laughs> they're like oh, this is too dumb. That almost the last. The like Carnival Row thing reminds. Did you ever play Wolf Among Us? No. What's it was that? like a video game that was like sort of a Simon Says thing, where like these options for speech and action would come up, and you would have to pick one, but you were sort of on a timer. Oh. So you had to like do it kind of quickly. But yeah, it was like a sort of like detective working in like fantastical parts of the city, like like fantastical creatures and fairy like tale creatures were alive but in like a modern urban setting i love that it was really fun that sounds very cool yeah what was it on again you said uh i played it on ps3 but i'm you could probably get it for ps4 now i don't know i bet most things are pretty fun great wolf among us yeah it was cool it reminds me a lot and i know we're not in this section but like it reminds me too of a lot of uh that fables yeah yeah fables A lot of that stuff's come back a lot. Yeah. I think those are like the best versions, it sounds like. I think so, yeah. Is like when they, they just, I don't know, they just stretch it a little bit. Yeah. Have fun with it. Break the mythology a bit. Like Mignola has been doing. Yeah. He takes it, but then breaks it, molds it around his own thing. Yeah. Very cool. I have to check out this Carnival Row now, at least the pilot. Yeah. Because I'm a guy that likes to watch pilots. And if I like it, I'll continue. If I don't, even if I like it, sometimes I'll be like, meh. Yeah. I got something else I want to watch. Yeah, you got stuff to do. But I'll definitely check out the pilot. Sweet. Me too. Awesome. We're going to watch it maybe together. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know. We'll hang out. It's friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's it for this um, week's Oh Boy email. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We have to let our brains cl- uh, sort of like relax after <laughs> yeah. that that in-depth uh, professor email, which we loved. For you out there, if we'd love to hear from you as well, all you listeners, and be aware, these are like, we're coming up to our last episodes. So if emails do fall bef- uh, before then, uh, we'll, we'll pick them back up in, in the future seasons. But we're going to try to hit as many emails as we can before we go into our hiatus, Yeah, which is coming up. But we, you'll know more of that when we actually hit the end of the season. But just want to give you a heads up. If you have anything to say, don't be shy. Email us. And that's at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. 
Yeah. And uh, we're going to take that quick break, and we'll be right back to continue into the story, The Universal Machine. Hello, listeners. We have a very cool and big announcement for the finale of this season of Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast. To cap off season three, we are going to do our first ever live show. Yeah, (laughs) it's going to be Saturday, November 2nd from 5 to 7 at the amazing Arsenal Comics and Games. We're going to be covering Hydra the Lion. And if you guys are in the area close to Arsenal Comics and Games, which is located at 1601 Newbury Road, Thousand Oaks, California, 91320, (laughs) then come on by. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of fun. We're very excited to do actually a live recording of this show with an audience. We hope we have like a a rambunctious audience. Uh, I say that because we have one, first off, as Kate said, we are covering the Hydra and the Lion. It's going to be the capper for season three, one shot Hellboy story. But we have great guests line up that are from directly from Arsenal Comics and Games. We got the owner, Timmy Hugh. We have Matthew Wilson and Aaron Cornelius. We have a lot of guests that love Hellboy as much as you. But in addition to that, you will be provided the audience, an audience mic. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that we're going to set up a mic that will allow you to chime in. Of course, you got to be polite and don't cut anybody off. Yeah, don't be a dick about it. But we want to hear your input as we go through the... <laughs> don't be a dick about it is going to be the rule. There will be an audience mic so you can chime in yeah. give your thoughts uh, in regards to the Hydra and the Lion as we go through those pages live yeah. on Saturday, November 2nd. And also, in addition to that, there's going to at least be one giveaway. Oh, yeah. we got to be giving something away. <laughs> yeah. You came all the way out to Thousand Oaks. <laughs> You're going to get something. You're going to get something. <laughs> and it's not just going to be our us, our faces in real time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's going to be it. Our first very live show will take place again on Saturday, November 2nd, 5 to 7 p.m. at Arsenal Comics and Games at 1610-1 Newberry Road, California, 91320. That is Thousand Oaks. It's going to be a great time. You know what I think it needs? You know how great it is? I think it needs a drum roll, okay? Welcome back to Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Mark David Christensen. And me, Kate Thompson. Yeah, and we're talking about the uh, chapters three and four Four. (laughs) of The Universal Machine. Again, written by Mike Mignola and John R. Cutie, illustrated by Guy Davis, with Mike Mignola, but not quite yet. Colored by Dave Stewart and lettered by Clem Robbins, edited by Scott Alley, and yeah, published back in 2006. So, you let's do start. a quick recap, just to where we yeah. left off. I mean, we don't, we can, this is a very dense story, which I'll probably continue to say every episode of this one. Totally. I think it's brilliant, and it's very handled well. It's not cluttery, or, yeah. but it is. I mean, essentially, so like Kate and Devin, a freelancer for the BPRD, go to (laughs) France to try to find a book that will hopefully help them reanimate Roger, bring him back to life. But some shit has gone down when they went there. Yeah. Uh, And then meanwhile, back at the BPRD, the rest of the agents are hanging out in the break room talking, just talking about some like they're just getting real with each other. The most important thing I think that happened is Daimyo 
unveiling his sort of like origin story, what happened to him, what where all his scars came from, how he died and came back to life. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of where like we're left off with Kate stuck in this uh shop where she thought she was going to be able to obtain this book from who she thought was a historian. Turns out to be a mad collector. A mad like But he's also a guy that should be dead. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like a, the rich guy who used to live in this town who was like killed and now he's like back and still collecting and he kind of never left and yeah that's kind of that bad news <laughs> so she might be screwed there and then uh sorry that was like such a bad recap I no like. i think that's fine I, I i do i mean i do think that these this issue specifically universal machine i'm gonna equate it to what we just came out of prior to this macoma and the island most likely more to the island, less than Macoma. Macoma's uh, its own beast. So let me, I'm going to equate it more to the island that I think it is a major, it is sort of like a crossroads. You know what I mean? Not only just like story-wise in a sense, but things are changing. A lot of dynamics are changing. We're getting big parts of information. Similar to how in the island we were given like, hey, this is how the fucking world came to be yeah. in Hellboy's universe. In this, we're going, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more, but like we're getting dropped in our laps. A lot of backstory. Yeah. That About sort of was just under shadow. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. So just a lot that I think is now going to drive. I'm assuming having been also with UK, haven't read all the BPRD stuff. It feels like, but knowing Hellboy and how that, what we just have walked away from is going to drive the rest of the book forward. I feel like that's the same thing that's occurring here Yeah, is that it's, it's we're putting up a lot of stuff. So it just can drive the rest of it home. Yeah. I mean, and I say home, meaning there's a there's years to go with this book running, having it BPRD literally just ended for the, this year as we, the year that we're recording this yeah and not that there won't be more but the the storyline that we're in the midst of in a sense has come Rats to its up. finality yeah so you know that i hope i wasn't a spoiler for oh, no, you no, no, no. yeah but but that was a long-winded way to get to that that i think your recap was great thanks there's a lot to recap but we, we just want to like just catch people up real it's briefly super dense, yeah they're definitely hopefully they're reading along yeah but continue yeah so starting on chapter three what well, we see mignola's cover art God, these covers. Has, it's really cool. He has like the the like bar at the bottom that shows a separate panel of Roger's kind of destroyed torso. And then in the top, we see Roger's face completed with like the sun and the moon, which I guess are like symbols that you see a lot in alchemy. Mm-hmm. And which makes sense because we're dealing with like. Uh, this guy who has this like alchemy book essentially that Kate thinks is going to be able to reconstruct Roger. Yeah. And then we see Johan um, and like an open heart and then sort of like flame, not quite flames, but like sort of like Johan's like ectoplasmic energy. Yes. Kind of emanating from the whole scene. Yeah. And the colors are so cool. Yeah. That, the purple and the hues that, Stewart has chosen. Do you think that symbol right below chapter three and right before, like sort of in the shadows behind 
his ectoplasmic sort of energy. Yeah. That image, that object, is that, that to me, I get the sense that it's not, I, I, two things I get off of it. Is it the object that, that Roger had that saved the day in the end of the black flame, but it also has more of life to it. So it's like a combination yeah, of that it's object not like a plus stiff, um, like spike or anything. It's like tentacly, but there's not yeah. seven. I really don't know. It's very interesting. It's a cool little image. Pit away. Get on it. <laughs> yeah. Explain Professor this to Pitaway. me. Explain it. Um, um, it's yeah, just a great. Sure. I love they keep just every cover so far. Uh, I can't remember what the, the next. We'll get to the other covers, but right now three in a row have had this tease of just fucking the husk. Yeah. That is once Roger. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And then the story begins where they're still, they're still like in this castle that was supposedly blown up like 50 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Kate is still talking to, um, Fabre. Fab. Well, Fab? you know, I'm not Fab? a French man, but yeah. I know French man. Also but... played by Bill Hader playing yeah. Andy Warhol. Yeah. <laughs> So she's still talking to him and sort of like uh, negotiating for this book. Uh, in the foreground, we see his like former court, I guess, you know, just some old timey aristocrats still torturing a bird. Kate's like, so you want to trade for this? You know, like, I don't know what, like what we could really give you. Like, and he's talking about, you don't know about this book. You don't know the value of this book. And then Kate's letting him know, like, I know Ini Harit, like, wrote about it, basically translated it from this, like, book that was written by Hermes, like, written by mm -hmm. a god, supposedly engraved by the Greek god Hermes on a stone that fell from the head of Lucifer when he was cast out of heaven. A pretty strange mixture of pagan and Christian theologies, if you ask me. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're just kind of, like, going back and forth, like, trading historical facts about this book. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like a little chess game of knowledge, I guess. Yeah, they're sort of like having this little like showdown of, yeah, of their knowledge about this book and about history in general. Because after she says all that, I love his reply. Oh, so you do know about that. Yeah. You do know about that. It's like, you asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's kind of saying like, it's funny that you say like allegedly and supposedly and things where you, you're walking around with the result of this kind of like miracle working you're friends with Roger. And then he's kind of talking about how these experiments were done many times before Roger. He has his, uh, little Quasimodo guy crack open this cabinet that reveals these like sort of like proto Roger sort of yeah. like homunculi that never really like that, that never achieved like exactly what Ro like Roger's the closest to a human that they got. Yeah. These are like the collection of the kind of like duds that came before. I mean, he was like the, the their creator like used them as little like assistants and stuff like that, maybe. <laughs> uh, but that's it. And then he like shows her a mortar and pestle and he's like names off Adil Misharis. Misharis. It's like, you don't know that name, do you? And it's like this other, this other alchemist who took this tome that Kate's trying to get. And with the notes from that guy made even better homunculi made two great ones. One of which was Roger and the other was his brother who like you tried to turn into a 
fat human fat giant. <laughs> yeah. Which Kate also like calls out. I love that she calls giant human fat body. Yeah. <laughs> and so this guy's basically like, I want Roger, even if he's in his bad condition, he'll fit right into my cabinet. It'll be so great. Kate's like, that's dumb because why would I want this book? If we gave you Roger, that makes no sense. And he's like, you're not trading that for you're not trading those things. You're trading your life. Basically we'll yeah. fucking kill you. And these creepy weirdos who have been torturing a bird the whole time are going to torture you if you don't cough up Roger. And then we, that's where we leave Kate for a minute. It's, right it's not looking good. No. Kate's you kind of had a feeling she wasn't going to, they weren't just going to let her walk out of there with a book. Yeah. Especially how mystical the place is. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then meanwhile, back in the BPRD break room, uh, it's Roger's turn to tell his, uh, like a piece of his history. Um, he's talking about when he was still- Not Roger. Uh, oh, Johan. excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's okay. It's There's Johan's so many turn. names we're thrown around. Yeah. The other gray guy. Uh, it's <laughs> Johan's turn to kind of talk about a little bit of his history. He's talking about when he was a medium and this soldier came to him and wanted to talk about, talk to his dead wife. And he gets in contact with her for the soldier. But in doing so, he falls in love with his dead wife. This. Wow. It's uh, pretty uh, tricky. It's like it's a, you know, he's basically like starts to communicate with this wife and feels like a connection with her. But she's only talking to him like through him. Yeah. To speak with her husband. Also, his fucking Johan's. Oh, I think I called him Roger again. <laughs> Johan's real wife or, you know, actual Ava, wife. Yeah. Ava is here the whole time, like yeah. helping, helping with this, um, you know, with speaking to the dead here. It's like just kind of a bummer that he like is basically like putting this living soldier through a lot of like torture in order just to talk with this woman who he's fallen in love with. Yeah, this whole this whole dynamic it's pretty is pretty messed up. Wild. And then Damio's like, uh, so what you're saying is you fell in love with this guy's dead wife. Is that it? That's <laughs> just insane, pal. You know that, right? And that's dialogue over a panel of Abe, who has done the same exact thing, who like, you know, isn't really call, but still loves Call's wife and like had a whole thing. Like, yeah, it's like, he's you know. such in a place of like introspection. Abe's just sitting there silent. And he's like, Ugh. Abe, talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah. And time he was like, right, right. Uh, it's okay, Johan, go ahead. So like Johan continues and he was like, he knew that he was acting unprofessionally, but he just was so in love that he felt moved to continue to do it. There's like, terrible shots of this soldier like in great distress he he's like i gotta move on with my life we can't just keep contacting my dead wife yeah, like just... i'll never continue living and then you see like ava also feels like betrayed because she, she sees what's going down you got it she's like you're obsessed with this lady like you don't do this for everybody he probably was distant from her and all sorts yeah. of stuff classic behavior yeah wow and i then, mean i love in that panel though like there's so much again, <laughs> Universal Machine is the densest, yeah, most ambitious thing I think we've hit with PBRD and then killing it. Uh, the only reason we don't go to every panel is I do think that 
there's just so much. Yeah. And if you were to go panel to panel, we'd be here for forever. Forever, yeah. <laughs> but I do think I love that one after the major leaves for the the, the final time and says, No, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Just those three silent panels of Ava and Johan is perfect. As she like walks away like, from oh, him. Oh boy. <laughs> Eyeballs him and walks away from him. And he still can't help it. He still goes back to see Senka, the dead wife. She's like, oh, are you here? Is my husband here with you? Or you wanted to talk? And he was like, he was like, confesses to her. I love you. And we're like, we've shared all of this. And she's like, no, I was sharing this with my husband. You were just like transmitting these, these messages. And now you've taken them and like poisoned them. And it's terrible. Like your gift has made you an abomination a living man who seeks love among the dead, you are too sad to hate. Oh. And just leaves him in this dark room sitting there. Daimyo, wow, some mouth on her. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but like you can see that like Johan at this point is like accepted it and knows that she was right. Her love for her husband was quite strong. And yeah, he's just talking about how that was like his confrontation with death and this like barrier between like death and life and how he kind of manipulated that and it didn't turn out yeah i mean this is really the first time we have seen a dark side to johan yeah because even in the in uh uh plague of not plague of the dead there was like oh speculation that he's what is he up to you know what i mean like yeah like mystery behind his actions but in the end he was revealed to be like good right, all he was along. just trying to help the whole time but this shows a side to him like all it's great like characters faults. like yeah he's woo. got faults yeah you, like, were you made a big mistake there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, but again, I love it. It shades. It doesn't allow these characters just to be one dimensional. Yeah. They've all made like mistakes before. And then he yeah, uh, like Johan's like, oh, uh, well, like Liz, go ahead and tell us about what you're doing. Like Liz is kind of like defending Johan from Daimyo's sort <laughs> yeah. of like jabs. And then when it gets turned on her, she's like, just quiet for a panel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I love her. Side eye. And then back in Abelbean, France. Abelbean? I don't know, man. I've never been to France, so how do I know? (laughs) Um, So Devin's like still hanging out by the phone booth. And he's just like, this is pretty funny. He was like, yeah, I just sit here. I just have to. Yeah, tell them that I lost Dr. Kurgan. Real (laughs) easy to call to make. He's like kind of just freaking out. See, think of Sam Robinson delivering that dialogue. It's going to be great. It would be very funny. (laughs) And then like all of these townspeople start emerging and he gets freaked out and then it's dark all of a sudden. And then when we cut back to the townspeople, they're all like werewolves and it's like, oh, fuck. What the werewolves fuck? Here. <laughs> we thought it was all monkeys, but it's werewolves, dude. Wolves, it's wolves. <laughs> um, and then cut back to inside the castle. Bob's like, he's like, oh, you're thinking over my proposal um, because I can't hold these parasites back too long. Like they want to eat you and torture you and stuff like that. And Kate's kind of like, I have one question. It like, if I bring Roger here, will you use it on Roger? Will you make Roger whole again? And his response, of course not. What possible use could I have for a living homunculus? It wouldn't even fit into my cabinet. <laughs> it's absurd. Like, so funny. <laughs> it's very like, funny. Oh uh, no, it wouldn't fit into my cabinet. It's almost as if like him getting blown up made it perfect. Like I feel I've right. I've, he's Bobber, like now he fits. Yeah. Before he's like nah, no use. Yeah. Oh now <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So Kate's trying to basically like out outthink him here. She's trying to like figure out what he really wants and. 
see how she can maybe manipulate the situation. And he's like continuing to talk about how like, oh, when I get obsessed about something, I learn all about it. And now I need to have the physical thing. So and then he turns around at one point. And he's like, you know what? You may have the book. It's yours. Go ahead and take it. Give it to your homunculus. But you have to give me Abe. You have to give me your fish, man. It's wild. Yeah. So he's kind of been like, you get the sense he's been like building up to negotiating for Abe all along. Almost. Yeah. Like I, I wondered the same thing. Kate. Mm-hmm. Like, do you th- like, yeah. Like, does he just want him no matter what? Yeah. I think that's like his big prize that, that he was the, have. the long con. Yeah. And that's the end of chapter three. Wow. Yeah. And again, I do. I hope we're not going too fast. I just think that BPRD we we tend to go in a different pace than just the Hellboy issues. Yeah. But I do think that God, this there's there's more dialogue than I think than previously. Yeah. There's so much like even the back and forth between Kate and Fabre is very right. dense even itself. Yeah. I hope we're giving it justice. I think we're doing it our best. But oh it's yeah, just, I think I think there's just, just so much for what is for what. Is there like it? Their conversation is cool and interesting, and like definitely serves a point of like showing you that they have this back and forth. But you know, you guys could also read it. Too. Yeah, we're not, like, we're not, yeah. This, we're not, we're not here just to reread it. Yeah, directly, which we all the sometimes time. do. But sometimes we do. Yeah, and sometimes that's fun. Yeah, it is. But uh, for this, I think it. I hope this gets you more if you haven't read it yet. Or, or revisit it. It wants you to go back and revisit again because yeah. I do think, and we'll we'll touch on it more when we get to our final our final thoughts after this next chapter. But there is just such, it's it's a very rich and dense yeah story. Oh, this next cover, wow! I love this cover so much. It's so cool. We have that symbol again with the five like tentacles. Yeah, is that something for Abe? Am I dumb? It might be, but I I. I it's not jarring immediately, and I it really looks and it looks so much like that object that Roger picked up to me, so much yeah, to me. And I don't but know, it's if, like swirly tentacles instead yeah. of straight spikies. I don't know if I, I don't know. Yeah, but we get Hellboy on this cover too. Yeah, it's like why Hellboy, the hell is Hellboy Abe and Liz? I think they all look so cool on this one. Yes, they do. They look awesome. Roger's torso still floating there. Just teasing us. Um, and some skulls with like some cool flames. Really sick. Yeah. It's great Mignola cover. Damn. Like this is a cover that I wish I had like a print of. Yeah. It'd be, a It'd be cool, awesome like a poster print. or something. Yeah. Beats. Stylish. It's very cool. Stylish. <laughs> I don't um, know why I said that. Then uh, in France, Devin is getting surrounded by these werewolves who <laughs> basically back him into this phone booth and lock him <laughs> in there. One stands up and creepily addresses him like, you want her back? Like, uh, you know, starts talking to him. And yeah. he's like, oh, what? Like, did not expect these wolves to start speaking, basically. I got I to gotta give it to you. Even though I have said that these, these, these issues have been very dialogue heavy, I love that these first three pages are essentially silent until the, the werewolf speaks. Yeah. And they're visually just so compelling. The tension is just off the bat, just like, here we go. Yeah, Devin, Devin is having the worst freelance idiot. job ever. <laughs> Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> or he'll um, end up liking it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So the werewolf's basically like, give us the homunculus or the fish man and we'll give you Kate back. Call your superiors and let them know. And the phone starts <laughs> ringing. And then back in the break room, Liz is like, all right, you want a story? I'll tell you a story. And then she 
kind of relays this time when she was younger. She's getting like tucked in by this woman, Jenny, who she addresses as her babysitter. Like, I'm too old for a babysitter. Let's not go through that again, Liz. You know why I'm here. Sleep tight, sweetie. So she continues sleeping. Her brother comes in and her little dog. And they're like talking about how this new place is creepy. It's not like our old house. It's creepy here and weird. And then this like skeletal figure, this like ghost-like figure emerges from behind Liz, touches her cheek as she runs out. Her brother's trying to calm her down. But the like skeletal ghost and this other like zombie are like kind of closing in on them. Yeah. The brother can't see any of this. She's like, what? Don't you see it? Don't you see it? See who you mean mom and dad. And then it's her brother, but like a dead fiery charred corpse of her brother. You mean mom and dad. And the dog is uh, also a fiery corpse. And then the woman, uh, Liz starts crying out for Jenny and we hear it's okay, Liz. It's okay, sweetie. I'm here, sweetheart. I'm right here. And then we see that Jenny is a BPRD like scientist in this like uh, fire flame retardant suit, I guess. Wow. Yeah. This flashback is brutal. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's something that I, I I mean that I think the comics have done well so far as like really explaining Liz's like the grief that she had to get over. Yeah. Whereas I think the the guilt, the guilt and everything is so well, articulated I think through mm. through all of Liz's issues or stories that she's been part of I think and it makes even more sense like why she needed to go to that monastery and try to control this yeah whereas <laughs> even in the first movie I think it's handled in such a very shallow and like yeah it's pretty goofy goofy way like her getting it activated was like I'm getting bullied right and whereas I'm like I don't know. Yeah, you evaporate. I'm not saying it wasn't bad what you did, but the way this shows is like, oh man. Yeah. You fucking burned your family. It's and you possibly you burned your dog. <laughs> burned your dog. There's something that's just they illustrate so well. Yeah. And it's just pretty devastating. And like Demi was like, hey, that's a dream. That doesn't count. And it's like, uh, well, that's like kind of the first time that I came to terms that my family was dead. And then Daimyo continue, is just like kind of being a dick. He's like, we're dead. You mean like it just happened? They were just somehow dead? I realize you're talking about the relative perception of death here, Sherman. But don't you think everybody has to face reality eventually? In this case, for, uh, in this case, for instance, the way your folks got dead. So he's like being like, you fucking killed your family. Like, Oof. don't say it like this. Yeah, and she's it's, like he's like pouring coffee, you know, saying it's so nonchalant. Yeah, he's such a dick because Johan is even like trying to before that moment. Yeah. Say like, oh, I, I they're probably reaching out to help you. And he's yeah. like, well, I think so. And he's like, nah, nah, I'm just going like, to uh, you killed you them. You killed them. <laughs> Jesus. Burned them. And then Johan again is like, Abraham, uh, we haven't heard from you yet. He like cuts off Liz from being like, I'm going to fucking kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. I want to see Liz beat up Damio in that yeah, moment. <laughs> seriously. Then, yeah, Johan's basically like, hey, Abe, like you haven't really told us about these instances. Can you tell us more about it? Uh, Abe's like, I don't know. And then has these flashes to his like origin. I love all these flashes because they seem original. They don't seem lifted. Another thing yeah. that I've continually talked about. But I love that guy just gives these quick little glimpses of stuff we've already seen. It's very cinematic, as you've already pointed out. Kate. Yeah, I love it. And super sad, like him just approaching call and call with his wife and then calls wife's 
corpse like deteriorating in the sun? Yeah. No. So he's like, no, I'm not going to talk about this more because he's still pretty thick in it. No, but if what you want is a sad ghost story. And then he tells about (laughs) when he and Hellboy were just investigating some shit going down up north. They're like all decked out and. They're like winter gear. <laughs> yeah, I love PRD jackets. It's cool to see Hellboy. We we've seen like little glimpses of Guy Davis drawing Hellboy, but not like so many panels in a row like this. Yeah, we're finally getting a taste of Guy Davis getting full reign to draw Hellboy. Yeah, it's cool, and I think he looks good. Yeah, he looks great. <laughs> like his first, like that bottom panel in Ontario, and him like pointing, like him saying to the uh, the chief, the sheriff, "I've seen worse detective who lives here." Yeah, who lives there? I love that. This character, I feel like I've been waiting to see for a long time because I've seen this character before and I know that it's like a fan favorite. So I was so happy to be like, oh, finally, I get to see this character. Me too. Because again, unfortunately, even though I'm a huge fan, I've not read the BPRDs, not met this character. So many people talk about it. People love this Uh, character. So I was like, oh, yay. So like basically (laughs) some, some bad shit's been going on, like these like weird this weird like puke with like human remains has been found. <laughs> um, this family used to live here. They moved out a long time ago. Hellboy and Abe are going to stake it out. And lo and behold, something comes along. They set up all this like fire to kind of trap it. It's like, yeah, that's right. I heard you don't, you guys don't like this stuff too much. And it's this like sinewy, scrawny white figure with like all this blood down the front. Which growls oh. at them until it stops growling and says, my name is Daryl. <laughs> Hi, Daryl. I love yeah. I love the, those two. I mean, that three panel of Daryl speaking his name is brilliant. Yeah. But then the two below is even, it's, it's so simple and great. Yeah. I've, I just love the action of Hellboy with his gun ready and then just slightly dropping it and going, Hi, Daryl. Yeah. Like that's we, his whole thing. Like, you know, yeah. he talks to demons all the time. Like, yeah. And again, from harping back to our first story ever of Hellboy, the one yeah. we read very first of him dealing with the dog that grew into a giant monster, just showing those hints of his humanity of like, this monster doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to get beat up first. Yeah. Like we can, if we can talk, then that's great. That's yeah. preferable. I love it. Um, and yeah, so they, the, then the next panel shows like cut to a bunch of BPRD vans being there. Daryl's talking to them in one of the vans, letting them know, like I went out hunting and then I got lost. There was this crazy blizzard. I got lost for days and I started running and like I was half dead. And then this happened like, then I was this Hellboy explains that a Wendigo was like chasing him down and Wendigo's like this creature in the Canadian woods. Yeah. It's like a curse and it killed you and your spirit went into the body of the Wendigo. And now you have to live with this curse. Um, and he's like, why, why me? Like I didn't really do anything. It was like sort of just bad luck. And the Yikes. only way to get rid of it, it would be to kill somebody else. And we're not going to let you do that. So you're coming with us to fucking BPRD headquarters. Basically. <laughs> we're going to put you away. So you're, yeah. We'll take Sorry, care man. of you. But <laughs> we can't let you kill anybody. So they pretty much, he's like, I'm already forgetting. Like Daryl said, I already forget. I forget my family and I'm going to forget the man I was. And they're like, we're really sorry. They put him in a jail cell <laughs> with a picture of his family. 
And that's it. And that Abe, is... like, leaves them all sad at the break room table. Wow. Yeah. That is... Can can the Universal Machine get more, just, more downers? Yeah, so sad. Because... <laughs> swapping sad ghost stories. That is... I love... Uh, I mean, the, d- the design of Daryl is so unique. It's really cool. We'll probably talk about that in a bit after the end of the issue, but this... Wow, this silent... These last silent silent panels of him looking at his old self and his family is just yeah like the, the the expression on his face in the corner you can just see he's about to burst into tears yeah oh devastating so yeah that's the story Gabe told yeah really <laughs> god damn i mean it's like oh nothing about you huh <laughs> um and then it kind of like cuts away from the break room down the hall to the like phone operator being like BPRD, how can I direct your call? And it's Devin being like, I got to talk to Manning now. Uh, put me on. I can't really hold. And he's like surrounded by all of these wolves. And that is the end of chapter four. Wow. Yeah, man. What a wild ride. And again, you. Th- I thought it couldn't. Uh, in my mind, I was like trying to remember because I'd read them all prior to us recording, of course. Yeah. And I was like. Oh yeah, these are dense and they're thick and a lot of it goes on. And I was like, oh, they couldn't, by the time we got to this, they can't get any more uh, dense or anything. Oh no, it can. We'll put Liz's story plus this insane new character who's wonderful and like rich in one issue. Yeah. This is like, but then again, it never feels, they really have managed in this, these especially these last two and the universal machine in general. I've talked to you about this a couple of times, Kate. I'm about to finish up my reading the original run of fantastic four with Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, uh, 102 issues. I think I have 101. I'm currently in the middle of, they are so dense at the top of those. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To the degree of like, they had chapter breaks in the issues where they're like chapter one, blah, blah, blah. And, but a lot of the, like a lot of even these early ones are so cumbersome with how much, how much story they want to throw at you. And they're fun. And I, there, there are gems in there that I will love forever. Yeah. But then I look at this and modern comic books and where we've come, how we've. Yeah. Storytelling has just evolved with them so much. The amount that we've gotten in these issues just for. But I've never felt like the issue is overblown. Yeah. Like it never felt like everything wasn't in its place is pretty marvelous to think. Yeah. Because this could be feel bloated or feel like, ugh, you know, calm. I need less or confused or like, what? I'm confused or like where we are now. But this is so, the clarity is, again, I, I feel like a broken record when I get excited about these. <laughs> like the fact that they were this ambitious. To not only create backstory, give more backstory to these characters we're loving. Now to introduce a new one? Yeah. I'm not sure it's going to come back, but I'm assuming will if fans are such big fans of him. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But it's pretty wild. And they pull it off. I'm blown away. (laughs) Those are probably my favorite panels is like Daryl going from growling to be like, my name is (laughs) Daryl. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. That's an amazing introduction to a character. I agree. I think all those winter panels are just gorgeous. You think you think you we've seen you've seen Dave Stewart do so much with colors. You see him in white, he still pulls it off. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, I mean, those are your favorites. Any others that you want to point out? 
You yeah, think? I guess those. I mean, Liz's like family being skeletons is pretty devastating. Yikes! Yeah, I, I don't have any favorites from this the the chapter three. Not because it's bad. It's just it's so dialogue heavy. I think I I can only encourage people to reread the whole yeah. Johan story because it is dialogue driven. It's not really it's visual driven. It's beautiful. His his ethereal state and speaking with the ghost. Yeah, Zinka. Uh, but him just being put in his place is very jarring and just a good big big reveal for our character. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, Johan, you're not as wholesome as I thought you were. Yeah. It's you're like, just like a polite guy. Well, you manipulated yeah, somebody once. A up. dead woman. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what how Ava thought? And I don't know, did we confirm did Ava, his wife, die when he was made into his ethereal ectoplasmic form? I wonder if she was in that circle. I don't know. We'd have to go back and look at issues to see if she's in that circle yeah. of people. I would assume so, but that's Yikes. I don't know. I love the dialogue, uh, Faber's dialogue of like, he wouldn't even fit in my cabinet. (laughs) Yeah. What possible use could I have for a living homunculus? It wouldn't even fit into my cabinet. What are you talking about? Very funny. It's so funny. To be, and also it just shows where he is. He's really that eccentric character. Doesn't see it as a human. It's just a collection. It reminds me of a lot, and this is going a little further and suggestions it reminds me a lot less eccentric um but the collector from guardians of the galaxy played by nicio del toro yeah like that's a definitely a a different version but it's essentially they're very similar characters (laughs) i really i'm I'm really amazed by again we've we've hit it already but guy davis's hellboy i think his iteration of him is great yeah it's just fun to watch other artists be like oh i like that version that's cool. Yeah. I can live with that if we had a couple of stories with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other, any other final thoughts or anything? A suggestion. Suggestion. Or even, uh, yeah. That's oh, well Devin getting stuck in the phone booth makes me think of the Untitled Goose Game. Have you played this? No. It's on Switch. Oh, it just came out. Yes. Yeah. Best obsessed with, I think she's going to buy it. She should buy it. It's very fun. <laughs> it's very, very fun. Great to hear. Yeah. There's a part where, I, I don't want to spoil it, but the part where Devin gets stuck in the phone booth makes me think of it. And oh, if you've played it. it, you'll know exactly what part. Great. I can't wait. It's very great. You should definitely play it. And it's fun to play like with another person because it's like kind of puzzle solving. Love that. It's really good. Oh, I think all the the panels in that whole telephone booth part are just beautiful. Mm-hmm. With Devin getting trapped, yeah, the wolf standing on its hind legs is cool. Oh, so ter- it's so creepy. His legs, his legs yeah. are terrifying. They don't seem normal. Ugh, everything's a little off. When it comes to Guy Davis making monsters, everything's just—he has like a perfect yeah. touch of making everything a little off. Weirdness. Yeah. Uh, I hate when I don't have absolute favorites because it just makes it seem like I'm not There's reading it. There's a lot it, of good shit in these two. Yeah, very good. Yeah. And that ba- again, that balance of the density of the story is very well done. And I can't, I can't wait to see that and hope that there's more of Daryl. Yeah, <laughs> I assume so. I assume so too. I've definitely seen other images of the Wendigo and I just never knew like his deal. And yeah, it's a great addition to this, all the mythos that yeah. we've built. Very cool. I love it. Um, dialogue wise, I don't know if I have anything besides I do like 
a bit of I do like Daimyo's sort of like his glibness towards other people has been it's I find it humorous in the sense that he's yeah. he's being an internal foil for them. Yeah. It's like, it's, ah, geez. <laughs> like You're come, rough, dude. Yeah, be rough. I love the first image of Daryl though, before he cool. becomes tame is very good and his howling. Uh I, I'm I feel like I'm gonna just take the day and just stare at Daryl. <laughs> he's so good Try to think, he's I, a I, really cool character I thought I had some suggestions but now I like forget about him because I got caught up in the art anything that like, came to werewolf me? or wendigo suggestions uh, yeah. the only thing I, I know the wendigo from is scary stories to tell in the dark uh, they have a like version of that oh that's very cool yeah and I remember it being really freaky and weird is that the one where the, the person's running? Yeah. And yeah, I remember like, that story. Their footprints get like longer and longer. Oh. And it's because they're being like lifted up by the Wendigo, like taking them away. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. scary stuff. Yeah. Scary stories. I mean, it is the season for scary stories. Yeah. So this is a perfect read if you're going to re- uh, want to get scared. Get scared. Because they're they're doing it. I love it. Uh, God, I, I feel like I had some suggestions then I totally forgot about them. Um, but the story is so good. Go everybody, go read it again. <laughs> That's all I can say is go read it again. So no suggestions because I'm just so caught up in the art and the story and the density of it all. Um, and I think this is a record for saying the word density. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. But we want to hear your good. thoughts. Yeah. We want to hear all of your guys' thoughts about these two great issues of the universal machine. Um, you can email us at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us as well on Instagram at awcrapahellboypodcast, Twitter at awcraphellboy. And in addition to that, on our Instagram, you can be part of coming up on the very last ever of the hashtag right hand to draw prompts. What do you got? I'm thinking Daryl as a Wendigo doing Daryl as a man stuff. <laughs> so like he's like an outdoorsman. He could be like fishing or drinking a beer, but he's now he's in Wendigo form. I just trying love to be this. himself. I, I say put him as anything you want. Yeah. Doing, have to doing be t- anything. Him is the Wendigo form doing him. Like if maybe even in, take inspiration from yourself if you want. Yeah. If you go to an office every day, I would love to see Daryl the Wendigo the at the office. Yeah. Doing that. Yeah. If you're an artist, Getting have him coffee. sketching. There's so many opportunities, whatever jobs out yeah. there. Him. What if he was a garbage man? <laughs> yeah. Daryl the garbage man. Or a firefighter. It's like when they used to have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys that were doing like weird other shit where you're like, did they ever do this in the show? I used to have a lot of those. The the baseball ones. Yeah, like all the sports ones. Like, think of it like that. Where it's like, oh, now it's (laughs) the Wendigo, though. Daryl the Wendigo as blank. Yeah. As the man does. So that's great. That is, again, Daryl as the Wendigo doing Daryl as the man stuff. Yeah. I love that. Um, If you do contribute to this uh, week's. Um, hashtag right hand of draw or you can contribute to any of that have followed prior even 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 after we retire this segment if you want to continue doing them please do because that's when I'm going to start <laughs> once it's all done Kate's going to go back and listen to all the episodes and then do I the will prompts. listen to the end of the episodes and get them I should have been writing them down this whole time but I have them a log remember you do oh mm-hmm. great 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 so I can give you that, that you, nice. you have access to it already oh, but that being good. said if you do contribute Please use the hashtag right hand to draw. Tag us on Instagram um, again at Aw Crap a Hellboy Podcast. That allows us to repost on our feed your drawing and your yeah. contribution because we just want 
our followers to see your art, follow you, and therefore that will lead to you becoming a rich artist. Yeah. That's all we want Just for raking you. in the dollars. <laughs> raking in the dollars. Raking those dollars in. Hell yeah. Be a uh, Scrooge McDuck and yeah. all your art money. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we, we. I thought this was a great episode. Uh, again, I apologize if I feel completely floored by this. These two issues, I just think they're wonderful and dense. Oh, yeah, and it's hard for me to articulate something that it, I think stands among some of the best. It's crazy, crazy good, good issues. We thank you again for listening. We appreciate it all. Thank you again. We love you. Nope, it's Shacks. Shacks, yeah. Shacks. I do. Uh, it's Shacks, not Thoth. That's just me mistaken, just because they're both bird creatures. Yeah, but that's like a bird demon as opposed to like, to like a bird a god. god. <laughs> yes, two different things. Should have just trusted Professor, <laughs> not myself. <laughs> but I just, it is interesting. It just made you think of that. the visual is definitely connected. Yeah. Hey guys, I'm Stevie Nelson. And I'm Dave Horowitz. And we're the hosts of I Burn Everything. It's a podcast about food and relationships, which, you know, if we're being honest, are two out of the three things people want to talk about anyway. What's the third thing? Netflix. Okay. We'd like you to rate, review, and subscribe if you like it. Anywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple, iPod. Stitcher. Do you still have iPods? (laughs) (laughs) If you have an iPod, do it on an iPod. I don't know. If you have a Zune, do it on your it's Zune. probably hard to even charge them now. Yeah, good luck. And if you have a Tamagotchi, you can't do any of this. Yeah, you can't stream audio on a Tamagotchi, but you you can feed them. Yeah, you still so keep feed feeding those it. little buggers. They're hungry. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Campfire.